Okay. Are you here? Come on. That was good. Have a seat. Let's, let's, uh, I think some of you may have remembered that my son uh, planted a church out in Boise, Idaho, and, and we thought it was so strange that, that they would stop in the middle of the service and take a coffee break. I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And let people go get coffee after they've been singing and whatever. But, you know, when, when we started doing the welcome this way, uh, I, hope, I hope this is encouraging to you. And I hope you get a chance to see people that you might not have had a chance to speak to yet. And this morning I want to ask you, because it may take you a second to find it, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the text for what we're going to be talking about this morning. If, if you have your Bible, you want to open it to 1 Thessalonians, and the best way to find that is it's in the T section, okay? It's really, it's really cool in the English Bible that all of those start together, okay? 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, all right there. Nothing else in alphabetical order, but those are, okay? So if you find a T book in your New Testament, you're getting close, all right? 1 Thessalonians, and I want us to look there together in just a moment. As Johnny mentioned, we have started this series called Make Room. You might not have caught the title. I hope you caught the theme last week when we talked about there are times we have to clean out our closet, take some stuff out to make room to put some new stuff in. There are times it, it happened this week. Uh, I jumped in the car with Johnny. We were going somewhere, and then we had a third person jump in the car with us, and I said, I'll get in the back seat, and I had to move over the child seat so I could get in the back seat. So sometimes you have to make room to get something else in your life. And during these weeks together, we're talking about what are we going to have to maybe change to take out and put in to make room in our walk with God. So this morning, I want to start by asking you a very simple question. When do you think about God? When do you think about God? Of course, you, you're thinking about him this morning because, you know, we came in here to sing about him and talk about him. But on a, on a regular day, on a given day, when do you think about God? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I, I'm trying to help us all cultivate what it's going to take to make room in our walk with God. Now, when you think about him, are you starting your day and you're the up before anyone else? Nobody else in the house. Or are the kids waking you up and you're in the middle of making the day work. As soon as your eyes open, you're scrambling in another day. Maybe you're in the house alone. And every day starts in a simple and encouraging, discouraging way because there's no one else there to talk to. Make room. What's it going to take in our lives for us to think about God and for us to make room for Him? There's a very simple passage this morning. And I want to warn you ahead of time that what I'm talking about is not that I have arrived, but it's I have observed okay will you give me that freedom because I'm not here to tell you that I'm happy with my prayer life or my time alone with God 
There are times I've set such a high goal of how much time I wanted to spend reading my Bible and praying and missed that goal that I just felt really guilty. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe someone's taught you how to have a quiet time. I almost want to take a survey to see if that term even communicates. Because if you've been around church for a long time, you've probably had someone tell you, now you need a prayer journal, and you need a place to go, and you need a plan about what you're going to read, and you need to have a a very specific schedule of when you're going to do that. And some of you have tried that, and circumstances in life have changed, or The discipline of your life hasn't gotten in gear, and it just hasn't worked. And so, already in this time we're talking this morning, you're feeling guilty. Because you you know you haven't done maybe what you should have done to make room for God. But I'm going to ask you to please take a moment, take down the guard, and, and let's talk about this. What would it take to trigger a thought about God in your life? What would it take to welcome his presence in your daily walk? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is coming to the end of the book. He's been talking to them about having confidence that when they die, they can go to heaven. He's been talking to them about the hope they have in Christ. And he, he's coming toward the end, and you see these little, they may even be, in your Bible, indented, because they're like little commands that just go pow, pow. And I want you to see what they say as it talks about the presence of God. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want you to start with me in verse 16. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Man, you gotta gotta like the statement, this is the will of God for you. So he says, this is what God wants for you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our walk with God is both an attitude and an appointment. An attitude of recognizing that he's there. An appointment that we make to make sure we're taking time to make room for him in our life. So this morning, let's first talk about that attitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It lists three words. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. You see those three? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Now, in all three of those, there is an emphasis about how you ought to do it and what ought to be happening. First, rejoice always. Now, what does that mean? That means that you and your life should find a way to acknowledge God's presence and to celebrate the fact that you have a relationship with him. Rejoice always. Pray 
all the time. Now this is what, actually this one verse is what made me come to this today to talk about making room in your heart. Because I want you to see that the scripture just commanded something that is totally, completely impossible. That is, unless you redefine what it means to pray. Pray constantly? Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to get on your knees, if that's your idea of prayer? And you're going to be talking, addressing God out loud? Which, by the way, if you live with someone that talks to themselves, then you know the frustration I have when I can't tell if KK's talking to me or not. I hear you mumbling in there, honey. I don't know what you're saying. And if it's to me, you need to walk around the corner and tell me, right? I just saw you, John. Punch Jane. Now, now be careful, all right? Praying all the time doesn't mean talking out loud all the time to God. In, in the old days, I could, I could have explained it by telling you that you've got your antenna up on your TV and, and you're trying to tune in the signal, but some of you, you don't even know what that would mean, all right? To pray all the time means you've cultivated an awareness of the presence of God in such a way that there's a conversation going on with him. That there's an awareness that he is there. That there's a relationship where you're listening and learning and anticipating that God is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And as we make room for Christ to work in our life, we're learning how to talk and listen to God. Pray without ceasing. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that says all things are open and bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Some have said that there's a, a picture of a guy standing before a judge who is up and he doesn't want to look at him. And the guard takes the sword and puts it on his chin and lifts his face to look at the judge as he gives the ruling about the crime he just committed. This morning, if you feel guilty before God, if you don't know how God deals with your sin, if you don't know how God has forgiven you when Christ died to pay for you, then you're not sure you want to be aware of his presence. You're not sure you want to acknowledge that he's there. But for us to make room for Christ to be the ruler of our heart means that we, through the good news of Jesus, learn what it means to pray at all times 
because we know he's there. The title of a great book, The God Who Is There. I was reading this week and one guy said, I can still see my mama standing there with her hands on her hips. And I look up and see that she's there. And I hear her say, young man, what do you think you're doing? And he said, I wasn't very smart, but I knew she really wasn't asking me my opinion about what I was doing. That instead, she was acknowledging her presence and knew I had to admit that what I was up to was not right. When we make room for Christ in our life, we know that he is there and he wants to talk to us about where there is in our life. I look around the room and I have the privilege of knowing some of you. I know a few of your problems. I know a few of your challenges. I know of some things that you think as you face them every day are impossible. I'm not taking lightly your pain or your problem, but I am challenging you to make room to see that God is there. For you to rejoice in his presence, for you to talk to him about anything and everything, And here's the hard one, to give thanks in all circumstances. I think it's rightly explained that you don't have to give thanks for all circumstances. But you can give thanks in all circumstances. Because you can recognize that God is at work in your life. And that his purposes are good. You sang it this morning. You are good. You are good. Do we believe that in our circumstances as we make room to acknowledge him in our life? I, I wrote a few things down that I want to make sure you get. Uh, here's one. The answer is not to be more disciplined or develop a new system or a prayer notebook. Those things can be good. But prayer is the natural result of a heart filled with desperation and faith. Do you recognize, how long does it take you every morning <laughs> to recognize that you are desperate? That's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be. To say, God, I desperately need you. Oh, I know my heart can keep beating without me acknowledging your presence. But there will be no joy and fulfillment without acknowledging your presence. God, I desperately need Christ because I know I'm a sinner. And I can't pay for my own sin. I know that when he died, he was becoming sin for me. That he might be raised and give new life to me. God, I'm desperate for you. This writer goes on to say, when the gospel cultivates 
humility and faith in us, we can obey this command instinctively because we know that we have to pray. One old preacher said, you don't pray until you have to. The key is learning how to redefine your have to. When you realize how desperately you need him. Another thing I wrote down that I wanted to make sure I said to you is, what's the opposite of these three things? Now, if, if this is you, I'm, I'm not, I don't know it, okay? I see your Sunday face, all right? Uh, I, I don't know if any of these are your real attitudes, okay? So don't think I'm, I'm picking on you. I'm just trying to explain the text, all right? What is the opposite of rejoice always, pray all the time, and give thanks in all circumstances? First, the opposite of rejoicing is complaining and expecting the worst. I hope that doesn't describe you. I hope that your life is not always talking about your problem and how everything's going to mess up and fail. If I can just be real candid and kind of shepherding to you for a moment, people don't like to hang out with that. And most people that want to hang out with you, if you're complaining and expecting the worst all the time, is somebody that's equally complaining and expecting the worst all the time. And they're no fun to be around either, all right? The Making room for Christ in our life means we're rejoicing, not complaining. What's the opposite of praying without ceasing? It's a stubbornness and refusing to talk to God about it. About it. What is it? Well, that's the the great part about learning to walk with Christ is that he doesn't leave our life vague. He he doesn't leave this cloud of confusion and condemnation over his children. This morning, if you're truly a child of Christ, you're making room to walk with him means that you're expecting him to specifically correct you to specifically direct you. And if it's condemnation and it's confusion, do you know where that comes from? It's not your heavenly father. Because if you've been born of the spirit and you're a child of God, he doesn't correct you with blanket condemnation and he doesn't direct you with blanket confusion. Instead, he corrects us specifically, and he directs us specifically. So what keeps us from praying without ceasing? Well, if, if you want to see it in your Bibles, turn to your right, and you'll find it in the book of James. In the book of James... Very specifically, we read that we're to humble ourselves 
before the Lord. Look at James chapter 4, verse 4. Skip down to verse 6. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want God opposing me. I I want God directing me. And it says, he resists and opposes the proud. You know, there's really only one thing we need to do in our lives when we encounter something that we don't know what to do about it, and that is to stop and to humble ourselves before God and expect Him to give a greater grace. It says He gives a greater grace when we submit to Him. Notice verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does it mean to cleanse your hands? It means when when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, and God corrects you, and you submit to him. If we confess our sin, what does the Bible say? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to become single-minded and not double-minded? The word double-minded there in the original text is daisuki, where we get our word soul. It means to be two-souled. It means to have one foot trying to do anything you want and one foot trying to do what God wants. And all you're doing is getting pulled apart. But when we bring our life under the authority of Christ and we humble ourselves, then we can pray at all times. All right, so back to what we were looking at in 1 Thessalonians. Three words, rejoice, pray, give thanks. The opposite of rejoicing is complaining and expecting the worst. The opposite of praying is refusing to talk to God about it. The opposite of thanks is being convinced that our circumstances and problems are just too big for God and God is not at work in my mess. Some of you are encountering problems that you don't have a clue what to do about them. And you, it is so counterintuitive for you to listen to the word of God and it say, give thanks in all things. How can you thank God for such terrible circumstances? The only thing I know to tell you is the scripture indicates that God is at work even in those terrible circumstances teaching you how to depend on him and teaching others that they can see his life at work in you even when it doesn't make sense. God's given me the privilege to walk with a lady who wants to see God at work in her life. And I remember 
KK's response when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her first response was to look at me and say, I get to go to heaven before you do. I mean, really, it was, it was kind of sassy, all right? And then when she learned that this cancer probably would not be what caused her to die, at least no time soon, then the word of God became so enriched in her heart that she said, I'm convinced that this is a work that God prepared for me to walk in. Applying Ephesians when it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Some of you are looking at the circumstances in your life and say, How could God prepare me to walk in this? How could God even want me to walk in this? I'm not going to pretend to be God to explain it to you. I might not be able to do the human math of it all. But I can say when we make room to acknowledge the presence of God and believe that he's there and that he's still working for good, then we can become a testimony and we can also enjoy his presence. You know, one of the measurements of knowing if you're walking Acknowledging the presence of God is joy. And if you have no joy, then it's because you're not receiving his love and you're not expecting him to be at work even in things you can't control and things you don't understand. So as I thought about this, realizing that it's always an attitude, even more than it is an appointment, why would we even want to make appointments with God? I'll talk about this more next week, but let me just set the table just a little bit. When we make an appointment to talk to God, We're making room to regularly feed on his word because our soul needs his word. How do we receive God's word into our life? We listen to it. We read it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We study it. All those things are open to us. Some of you... If you're honest, only hear the Word of God on Sunday and you're not building any pattern of an appointment in your life to have the Word of God in your life. Why is it so important that we find other ways than this gathering to welcome the Word of God into our hearts? Because we can't trust our feelings. Can you trust your feelings? Do you have any feelings that you don't know where they came from? Come on, sure you do. We have feelings that have been programmed to thoughts and those feelings sometimes can overwhelm us. 
certainly confuse us, absolutely condemn us. So why do we need the Word of God in our life? So that what's true can check what we're feeling and show us if what we're feeling is right or if what God says in His Word is right. And I have this wonderful illustration that may not make any sense to you, all right? But I'm going to try. Some of you have been in a small plane before. I'm kind of curious. How many of you have been in a two, four, six, just just that kind of small of a plane? Man, there's a lot of you, a lot more than I thought. Did you, how many of you can fly that plane? Uh Uh-oh, you're going to have to help me make sure I say this right, okay? But if, if you're in the front seat of that plane, I'll never forget, we had a staff member that was a pilot, and I was pastoring over in Virginia, and they had asked me to come over and speak at Liberty University, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do both because it's too far to drive and then get back for a meeting that I had that night. Jack said, I'll fly you. I said, really? I said, they've offered to pay gas for my trip. Can, is that enough? He said, yeah, that's enough money to buy the gas. Come on, I'll fly you. We got in the little plane. We took off, we're flying, and Jack said, you know, some people don't know how to fly with instruments. I said, I've heard about that. He said, because there are times that when you're flying, if you don't have instruments or you've not been trained in those instruments, you'll lose your bearing. I mean, you'll even feel it like you can't feel like which way is right. But certainly if it gets cloudy or something you know restricts your vision and you don't have an instrument then you don't know if you're on track at all so I said show me Jack he said this one right here is called the attitude (laughs) I said really he said yeah and here's how it works he said you notice when you look at it it shows you that you're in line with the horizon. And if it gets off, it shows you that you're not in line with the horizon. So the attitude indicator shows you if you're on the right plane, no pun intended, all right? As we learn to acknowledge the presence of God, we need the Word of God to indicate to us if we're seeing the right plane. Because there's no temptation taken you that God will not provide a way of escape. There's no condemnation for you If you are in Christ Jesus. There's no excuse for. Replying to evil with evil. But we are to respond to evil. With good. And there's no excuse for mistreating someone. As though they don't matter. Because we can see that we're looking in the face of another person God created 
And we must treat them with dignity, believing that Christ died so they could know him too. So my challenge to you, as practical as I know how to make it, acknowledge the presence of God. Recognize that he is there and respond to his leading because the more you respond, the more you'll know his leading. And the more you respond, the more you'll see his presence. And the more you respond, the more you can rejoice. And you can talk to him about everything. And you can even thank him in the circumstances that you don't like. So let the attitude indicator of the Word of God put you on the right horizon, I pray. Mr. Pilot, did I get it right? I pray that you hear God speaking right now. And if he's speaking very specifically, remember... He's going to resist you if you stay proud over that. But he's going to give you grace if you'll humble yourself about that. So would you bow your heads right now and pray with me? Father, I thank you for these men and women who've gathered with me today around your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you have given us such an incredible tool to guide us we know that there are places in the world that have never seen a bible there are places in the world that they've never heard of christ but we have so lord teach us to acknowledge your presence and treasure your word and find ways to welcome it into our lives so when we encounter circumstances and feelings that we cannot overcome, that your word will gently be our guide and direction, we pray. And in this moment of prayer, men and women, as you listen to me, if you've never trusted in Christ, you can pray a prayer like this. God, I know I'm a sinner, and compared to you, I know that I've failed and I've sinned and I need a Savior. And I believe when Jesus died, he was not dying for his sin but for mine. And somehow would you apply his goodness to my account? Would you give me that gift of forgiveness? Lord, I accept it by faith. And for those of you who claim to know Christ, would you make room in your heart to acknowledge his presence and welcome his word so it can be your attitude indicator on the dashboard of your life. In Jesus' name.